how would universal voting encourage political participation? Yeah, I mean, I feel like instead of encourage, it would enforce. And I think that's, I'm kind of all about it. Like, I know what would happen. Everyone would freak out and it would be like vaccines all over again. But it really would be, you know, but like, I feel like once people like got over it, I don't know, maybe that could take 20, 30 years, whatever. But like, then we would eventually get to the point of being like Australia and it being a very important, serious thing. Welcome to the United She Stands podcast, the show that brings kindness and women into politics. I'm Ashley. And I'm Sarah. And we're two Midwestern women from Ohio who have a passion for kindness, lifting others up, and making a difference. Our experience in corporate America has taught us both to build and navigate all kinds of relationships and lead groups of people. When it comes to politics, however, there is nothing official about us. We're just two gals who want to be better educated on the U.S. government and learn how we, as women, can make an impact together. Each episode, we will bring our listeners along on our own educational journey. And we'll also share real-life experiences from women involved and impacted by politics. And we'll try to make it as fun as possible. We're so glad you're here for the ride. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to United She Stands podcast. So if you listened to our three-part mini-series on political parties, you'll remember that there was a big theme in the last episode specifically about what the hell to do with this broken two-party system we have. We talked a good amount about how many different components of democracy reform could help make our two-party system more representative of we, the people. So we couldn't leave you hanging. Today, we are going to go a little deeper and dive into what the heck is democracy reform. But first, what are we drinking, Sarah? What are we drinking? I am drinking. Victim of conformity. You may have heard this a time or two on the podcast because this is a Phoenix beer that we, well, that Ashley uh, stocked up on. Yes. And also, I like how you made your own sting. Into Thank that. you. you yeah. <laughs> I love the... <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I'm drinking an Island Holiday, which is a sour ale by Button Brewhouse, and they're out of Tucson. So mm. I also brought this home from Arizona. All right. So before we dive into democracy reform, let's talk about what we knew about this topic. Do you want to go first? I will be very, very honest. I knew literally nada. The only things I knew was just like a little bit about the ranked choice voting. And that was really from conversations with you. Like I knew absolutely nothing about what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. So this has been like a topic that's really like intriguing to me (laughs) for a while now. So I, I don't know like a ton, like I'm not like well-versed, but I kind of knew like all about the, like exactly what we'll talk through today. I knew most of this, Um, but I think it's a really cool idea and just something that I think is huge and could really make a difference. So I'm excited to talk about it. All right. Before we jump in, we are going to hit you with some definitions like we always do. So reform just means to make changes in order to improve something. And that's really what democracy reform is. It's a movement picking up steam to fix what more and more Americans believe is our broken democracy. So democracy reform is all about fixing broken systems in our democracy. Many of the democratic systems we have in place today have not been updated in decades, and some have not been updated in even longer. Think about how different everyday life is and how different the U.S. looks today than it did decades ago. We communicate differently and we consume information differently. Not updating our democratic systems to accommodate the present-day way of life can have very negative consequences. In present-day America, there are inherent flaws when it comes to people being adequately represented and having the ability to participate in our democracy. 
So there are many groups across the country working to close the gaps and fix the problems we have in our system today. And ultimately, this movement to strengthen our democracy and make sure all citizens can participate in and are adequately represented in our democracy is really gaining momentum. So today, we're going to discuss some of the items these different groups are working on in order to reform our democracy. And we are going to carry out this discussion by using the Democracy Group's Guide to Democracy Reform. So the Democracy Group is a network of podcasts united around the goal of helping listeners understand what's broken in our democracy and how people are working together to fix it. The Democracy Group is organized and funded by the McCourtney Institute for Democracy at Penn State, which produces the Democracy Works podcast in partnership with WPSU Central Pennsylvania's NPR station. So this guide that we're going to use today is from them, and it's going to facilitate our discussion around democracy reform. As always, we'll link it in the show notes for you. So let's dive into it. These are in no particular order. The first one we're going to talk about is universal voting. This is one of the most dramatic reforms supported by some advocacy groups. Universal voting is this idea that voting in federal elections is mandatory. This means all eligible voters would have to participate in elections or submit a valid reason for not participating. For those who did neither, they would ultimately be fined. Another component of this reform item would enable what they call a donkey ballot, which really just means there would be a none of the above option on ballots so folks who do not want to vote for any candidate could exercise that right even though they're being forced to vote in the election. I have a question. Do we actually think donkey ballot means ass ballot? Pass ballot, yes. Uh, yeah, check that one off. Cool. I actually didn't look up why it's called that, but um, that'd be a fun fact, so maybe we should find out. All right, so folks against universal voting argue that this is a huge, daunting task, and it feels very un-American, right, forcing people to do something. But folks that support it argue that it is no different, really, than your obligation to serve on a jury. I would say I- we've all gotten jury summons, but I haven't, even though I want one. Anyway, so they also argue that mandatory participation would dramatically increase political participation and increase awareness of political issues in the U.S. So this has not been done anywhere in the U.S. so far, but Australia has had universal voting since 1924. Oh my god. That's almost 100 years. And they're still kicking it. They're still kicking. So Australians really actually have seen voting as a civic duty and as part of their culture. Overall, the sentiment in Australia is it's a very positive thing. Wow. So... As part of this little guide that we're using to facilitate this discussion today, after kind of talking about each and explaining what each is, we are going to do a couple reflection questions. So I'll kick the first one off, Sarah. How would universal voting encourage political participation? Yeah, I mean, I feel like instead of encourage, it would enforce. And I think that's, I'm kind of all about it. Like, I know what would happen. Everyone would freak out and it would be like vaccines all over again. But it would really would be. You know, but like, I feel like once people like got over it, or I don't know, maybe that could take 20, 30 years, whatever. But like, then we would eventually get to the point of being like Australia and it being a very important, serious thing. And, you know, lasting almost 100 years. Yeah, I, I agree. I actually really like the idea of universal voting. I mean, it's like getting your your uh, tags for your car renewed each year. It's like getting your license renewed. It's, yeah. you know, those are also mandatory things that we have to do. And maybe some of them aren't yearly, but... But you don't like, have to drive, technically. So it's a little different. Ah, you got me. That but the good. jury, I think the jury thing is... like That's a good very, comparison. Yeah, yeah. Like, but I guess you only get summoned for jury if you register to vote, I think. 
Oh, and I feel like you, there are a lot of easy ways to get out of oh, yeah. jury duty. But I also, like, I didn't dive into this, but it also says that you can submit a reason for not participating. Yeah. So I, I wonder how, like, yeah, they how, are. Yeah, how, you know, I'm sure that that would be, like, determined based on the legislation that if we did, ever did in the U.S. was created. But, you know, I feel like, like, everything, there's an exception. Yeah. I think I really like it, but I think there's also, it's more like, how would you execute it that I feel meant about yeah like for example today mail-in voting is a big you know controversy Mm -hmm. like republicans typically don't like it democrats are typically more for it and one of the reasons you know that democrats argue they're for mail-in ballots are because of access to polls Mm. so like for me that's one thing it's like hey you're forced to vote but like can everybody actually get to a ballot that's is it accessible yeah, because they would not, have to do a lot of restructure in terms of, like, logistics, too. Yeah, and if it's not accessible, but, hey, we're going to fine you, like, to me, this just immediately hits, like, typically those those harder-hit communities to begin with. So that's my only thing is, like, the execution of it is what makes me, you know, I think at one point when we kind of talked through it, it says, like, this is a huge, daunting task, because it would be. Like, yeah. to execute something like this would be crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the idea of, like, people really being forced to basically participate in yeah. democracy. I agree. Which does seem a little un-American, but I like it. See, I understand the argument of it being un-American, but also, like on the flip side, it is our civic duty as Americans to vote. I agree. So, like, democracy doesn't work unless you participate in it. Right. It's it's not like I'm forcing you to, like, it would be un-American to be like, oh, go chug that beer. Like, okay, maybe that's not an American. That seems pretty American, actually. (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's, like, totally spot on. But, like, (laughs) in terms of, like, forcing someone to do something, like, a lot of things would fall under the un-American bucket or umbrella. But, like, in terms of making people vote, I feel like that's American as hell. I mean, like, I feel like the older generation says this all the time, but it's so true. Like, people died for that, right? People died so you could vote. And, yeah, I just, I actually love the idea of universal voting. Like I said, Execution would have to be, like, totally baked out, which it's the government, so right. odds aren't good. But, you know, the general idea of it, I really like. Yeah, for sure. The other question we had was, uh, what are the cons? But I feel like we kind of covered those. I think we kind of covered else? those. Because the cons I was thinking of when I was kind of prepping this was the access. Um, and like I said, the fine. The fine to me, I think it's like, that's how you enforce it, so I get it. Yeah. But if you're just going to hit, like, the harder hit communities or, like, right, right, typically people who aren't as well off financially anyway, then I don't love that. Yep. Um, so I think those would just have to be how you, how you have to figure that out, but. Yeah, it would have to be, like, planned out perfectly. Yeah. And very, very, like, thoroughly thought through. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Our next democracy reform strategy is automatic voter registration. The idea here is to make registering to vote an opt-out activity as opposed to opt-in. This means any eligible citizens who interact with government agencies, like the DMV, are registered to vote with the information updated automatically through these government agencies. They can actively decline to be registered, but off the bat, they wouldn't have to do anything extra to become registered to vote. The voters' info would be sent to election officials electronically from these agencies without any paper forms involved. Automatic voter registration is cost-effective and an efficient way to increase voter registration and really give any voters who may have not had the opportunity before to get registered. So currently, 15 states plus the District of Columbia have adopted this strategy, 
Well, Utah, Connecticut, and New Mexico have adopted similar reforms. A Brennan Center report in April 2019 found that automatic voter registration increased the number of voters being registered anywhere from 9% to 94%. And I know that's a huge range, but like that is up to 94%. That's insane. Yeah, that's a lot. Right? And these increases were found in all different types of states, you know, big, small, different sizes, and even those who have different partisan makeups. Another great example comes from Delaware. They implemented automatic voter registration over 10 years ago, and now 81% of all registrations come from DMVs. In Washington and Kansas, the number of voter registrations completed at a DMV doubled after they adopted the strategy. All in all, automatic voter registration seems to work. So our reflection question here, how does automatic voter registration change the system of voter registration? I mean, I really like that too. Right? <laughs> I like all this, yeah. I feel like it's super convenient. It is. And like, it's a, that's already a government agency verifying who you are, right? Because I mean, I'm trying to think of the arguments against this, right? And it's, the same arguments I think you get with, like, mail-ins. Like, how can you confirm that's the person sending right. the ballot? But, like, that government agency, especially if you're getting, like, your driver's license, they're already confirming who you are. You know, I don't I don't really see the downside of this option. Yeah, I agree. Like, for me, like, I just don't even remember. Like, I know I did it, but I don't remember what it took. But I just remember it being a pain in the ass. Like, I'm a United States citizen. I have a driver's license. I own a freaking house. You know what I mean? Like, right. why is this, there's this extra step for me to, like, vote? Like. To your point, the the government, I'm sure, has more information on me than I even cared to know. Yeah. Like, it just seems so intuitive to me that this would just be part of that. Now, what it doesn't do is, like, you know, like we talked about, I forget, like, I read this stat somewhere, but, like, a bunch of people in New York City, right, don't own cars. Mm. So they probably don't have a license, but I don't know. Do they have a state ID? Could it still be, you know, is it still pretty bad? I don't know. But so those are kind of some of the nuances. But overall, like, I just don't really see a negative to this situation. Yeah, no, that's a good call. It definitely favors those who can and do drive or own a vehicle, but I still think it would cover yeah. like a, a ton. A ton I mean, of it's still helping a lot of people. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. there's evidence, and 15 states are already doing it, and that's incredible. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, I like that one too. Yep. All right, so next we're going to talk about ranked choice voting. So this is one that has really gained some momentum. So we're going to jump into it. This is a reform item being advocated for by certain groups to make democracy more fair and functional. Ranked choice voting would give voters the option to rank candidates instead of just choosing one. So ranked choice voting works by allowing voters the option to rank candidates in order of preference. So basically you get to say like this is option one, two, three, and so on. This means that even if your first choice does not win the election, your second choice is also supported comparatively and may win. In elections where voters select one winner, when a candidate receives a majority of the first choices, that candidate wins, just like in any other election. However, with ranked choice voting, if there is no majority winner after tallying the first choices, the race is decided by basically an instant runoff. The candidate with the fewest votes is removed, and the voters who pick that candidate as their number one will then have their votes count for their next choice. So that person's second choice votes would then count. Certain Democratic reform Advocacy groups, such as Fair Vote, support the system because it ensures the candidate with the most support wins, rather than one candidate who comes from a crowded field with a small plurality of votes in the election. Not only does ranked choice voting support a fairer and more representative system, it has other benefits as well. 
First, it enables third parties and independents to put up a real fight. Because people are not scared to throw away their vote, they are more likely to really vote for someone outside of the two major parties if their views align with that candidate's. There's no more of this picking the lesser of two evils. They can truly rank the candidates based on their opinion without worrying about their vote being thrown out. Second, because it is not set up to be an us-versus-them style election, us and them being the two big parties, it promotes much less negativity during campaigning. While a candidate might know that you aren't going to pick them as your first-place vote, they're also aiming to get your second-place vote. So instead of bashing your first-place vote, they will focus more on why you should vote for them versus why not the other person. Third, ranked choice voting saves time and money. There's no need for a real runoff election as ranked choice voting acts as an instant runoff. So like I stated when we started this reform item, ranked choice voting has some real momentum. Many local governments and states across the country have adopted ranked choice voting for local elections. In 2020, the state of Alaska adopted it as well to start being used in 2022 at the state level. And if you paid attention to the 2022 elections, we did see it used. They are on track to be the first state to use ranked choice voting for a presidential election in 2024. I love that. Yeah, isn't that cool? So our reflection questions here. How would ranked choice voting be more representative of the voters? I really like this. I think this is the first democracy reform concept that you explained to me. I think one of the arguments that like I hear, and I think this is just, like such a bullshit argument, People say it's too complicated. Mm. Um, and so I know when you try to explain it, it does seem a little, okay, like what happens when my first place doesn't win? We will definitely post something on Instagram. There's a little video that I've sent a few people. It explains, it's like a one minute video, but it explains super easily. Actually, we'll put it in the show notes too. But it's so simple. And I think those people who argue against it are like, you know, the two big parties that would benefit the most from this not happening. Right. But yeah, I mean, I feel the same way. This is another one where I say, like, what is the con to this? Like, I can't find a reason you wouldn't do this. And we already saw, like, the execution of it in Alaska be successful. So, like, logistically, we can make it happen because they already did. So, like, why are we? Yeah, I think the other argument I've heard is just, like, the mistrust that people already have in elections. But, like, I feel like I understand that, but I feel like this could fix part of that you know what i mean or fix people that like are willing to have their mind change as opposed to the people's whose people whose minds won't ever be changed you know yeah i mean especially if like it truly happens where like you know maybe an independent candidate really is like more popular than others like and somebody saw this really like work you know or or even like their second place gets picked instead of like their last place i don't know but yeah, I love ranked choice voting. I think it's really cool. Yeah. And I'll just plug this for, I know a lot of our listeners are Ohio-based. Rank the Vote is an organization in Ohio, and they are fighting the good fight to bring ranked choice voting to Ohio. So go check them out if you want to support. Check them out. All right. Lastly, for our democracy reform ideas here today, we have open primaries. This is something I really didn't understand at all. Even like reading it, I was like, wait, what? And actually really explained it to me well. So first, I'll start out with saying these are elections that don't require voters to be affiliated with a political party in order to vote for that party's candidates. So Ashley, I asked you like, okay, wait, what? I don't think I've ever voted in a primary. Like what is what are they even talking about? And so Ashley explained it to me. So I'm going to kick it to her. Yeah, so basically your open primaries. So so let's back up stuff. So primaries, right, are just the elections that happen where you can go tell 
today, typically, if you lived in a state where they do closed primaries, you can go tell your party that you're registered with which candidate you want to actually run in the real election. So when you walk in and you vote for a primary, you're basically saying, hey, I want, you know, maybe in the last election you wanted Joe Biden to be the presidential candidate for the Democratic ticket. That's what you're doing in a primary. But today, typically, closed primaries, if you are a registered Democrat, you can only walk in and get a Democratic ballot for the primary. So that's the issue with closed primaries today, is if you're not registered for a party at all, you don't get to vote in the primary. And say, not pointing fingers at anyone in the same room as me, if you registered as a um, as an affiliate of one political party when you were 18 and have not changed that since, and you have maybe switched views or switched parties technically, then yeah, you can't vote for the party that you most identify with today in a primary. Correct, if your party affiliation is not updated. And... I'm assuming that's some sort of like similar thing to a voter registration to update your party affiliation, right? I believe so. I literally haven't looked into it clearly. (laughs) Uh, Sarah's pointing fingers at me. I'm the person in the room who registered with the party at 18 that I absolutely no longer identify with. But yeah, I I don't know. And I've just been, to be honest, I just haven't ever cared enough about a primary. I've voted, obviously, in all the other elections. But yeah, I think... Typically, you know, it's always like, oh, I'm just picking the lesser two evils anyway, and then it right. comes down to it. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. This year, let's, or I'm going, we, yep, I'll make sure. Yeah, we, we should both go. We should, yeah. we'll record it and post it on Instagram as, um, as proof. Yeah, maybe we'll do a good job of trying to make sure people know when their primaries are. That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. we'll be, we'll share all the info on that. Yeah, cool. Okay, so as the open primaries organization says, No American should be required to join a political party to exercise their right to vote. I mean, all I have to say here is snaps. Right? How I feel. That's why I haven't done it. I'm boycotting affiliation. Like, it's just stupid that I have to even pick one. (laughs) Oh, man. The current closed primary system creates a system where politicians are more accountable to their party than to their constituents. This creates more political polarization and extreme divide between parties that is already rapidly growing in today's climate. Additionally, in a closed primary, experts argue that those who support the independent parties are not represented or heard. Overall, open primaries are extremely important when it comes to democracy reform and securing a voice for all votes, regardless of party affiliation. Right, reflection. What is the growing concern in America that has increased the call for open primaries? I would assume it's the, like, extra polarization. Yeah. Like, each party is becoming so much more extreme. Exactly. I think, I think you're spot on. Because if you only have, like, the advocate fans, I'll call them, of that party walking into a vote in a primary, you're going to get... Right. The cycle is just going to keep on going. Yeah. Yeah. And to be honest, I feel like it's typically the... On both sides, the more what someone would call radical, I kind of hate the word radical, to be honest, but what someone would call, because I just feel like it's always negative. Mm -hmm. I agree. If you're radical left, it's bad. If you're radical right, it's bad. And, and, you know, I think obviously being extreme on either end can be bad, but I don't know. I just hate the word radical. Okay. (laughs) Really went down a rabbit hole there, but anyway. I digress. Yes. Anyway. Yeah, I think so you typically, those are like, I think you're more passionate, you're more probably people that are showing up at these primaries and then those are the kind of candidates you get yep so, rough rough boo boo close primaries yeah i agree 
We are for open primaries over here at United She Stands. So a basically we are saying yay to all four of these. We love them all. Yeah. I am all for democracy reform. Hands down, let's go. Yeah, I'm about I'm it. I'm a big fan too. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. All right, so let's summarize what we learned today. Groups across the country are working on different initiatives to help fix broken systems in our democracy. The four different reform items we talked about today were universal voting, automatic voter registration, ranked choice voting, and open primaries. These are four of the bigger ones, but these are really not all of them. There's other initiatives going on around the country. Ultimately, each of these reform items seek to do one or many of the following. They want to increase civic participation, improve representation, create more fair and functional elections, or decrease polarization. And basically, that's democracy reform in a nutshell. Wow. I hope you all learned as much as I did today, and hopefully you all are inspired by all these different strategies going on. And if you're interested in them, you know, look them up, see how you can get involved. Yeah, and we'll have some sources for you guys in the show notes. We'll definitely link Democracy Group and then also maybe like Ranked Choice Voting for Ohio because I think I mentioned that. Rank the Vote, that's the organization. Rank the Vote. Yeah, and anything else we used, we'll make sure it's in the show notes. For sure. Thanks, everyone. Hope you come back. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We appreciate you more than you know. If you appreciate us and our show, please hit the follow button and share this episode with anyone you think would enjoy it. You can also give us a follow on Instagram to stay in the know on all things United She Stands. The link is in the show notes. We'll see you next time. And remember, we We can can make make a difference in this world. All right. Welcome back to United She Stands podcast. So if you listen to our three-part mini, I just hate everything I just did. (laughs) (laughs) So democracy. It's going to be a long episode if reform is hard. If reform is the word that's hard, it's going to be a lot here. (laughs) (laughs) G-Rogue. 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 And you stared at me like I was. I did. I thought you were the dumbest bitch. Okay. Okay. Should I just start fucking over? I know. I think. I think here. Like, if you start with and, I think you're fine. Okay. We're fucking five minutes in. (laughs) Start the whole bitch over. (laughs) Delete everything. Even the beer I talked about was shit. (laughs) Universal. Oh my god. Can I just read what the fuck I wrote? (laughs) Another component of this reform. Okay. I really hurry up. I want to make a donkey joke. (laughs) Wow, I really didn't type that well. (laughs) And basically, that's democracy reform in a nutshell. Nutshell. (laughs) I was already saying the word y'all with nutshell. That's what you get for trying to integrate y'all. No, I've been saying it more now. It's like you're rubbing off. Oh my gosh, I love it. (laughs) Hope you come back.